0: the future trends that are sneaking up on us rapidly beasley media group vice president of programming buzz Knight interviews thought leaders of today on new innovations new methods new strategies and new thinking on this podcast healthy paranoia Our Healthy Paranoia podcast to date has focused on new thinking and the trends surrounding us in technology. But on this edition, we start a series of podcasts on leadership and some of the most striking and impactful examples in our history. Doris Kearns Goodwin is the Pulitzer Prize winning author of multiple books capturing the beautiful essence of many of our presidents from Lincoln, Teddy Roosevelt, FDR to LBJ in stunning and vivid detail. Her experiences working for President Lyndon Johnson shaped her passion and brilliance as a historian and her new book, Leadership in Turbulent Times, focuses on the four presidents in an examination about their growth and development of Leadership. Our first of five episodes focuses on Abraham Lincoln, who Doris brilliantly chronicled in her award-winning book, Team of Rivals. I'm honored to be here with my fantastic dear friend, Doris Kearns Goodwin, celebrating her new book, Leadership in Turbulent Times. Doris, congratulations on the book release, and as always, it's so awesome to be with you.
1: What fun to be with you as well. Whoa!
0: <laughs> so, considering the times we're in... Uh, When did you start this incredible journey with this book?
1: It was really five years ago, so that even though the times were not as turbulent as they are now, you know, the title seems more relevant now than when I chose it five years ago, but still there was no ability to get bipartisan legislation through the Congress. There was a sense that Washington was broken. We were worrying about the political health of the system um, but I so it, but that's not why I chose to write the book. It just happened that I wanted to write about my guys, and I had known them over a period of fifty years. But I had never really looked at them through the lens of leadership. And the great thing about studying the four of them together—Abraham Lincoln and and uh, Teddy Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt, LBJ—is that each time I finished one of my books, if I were to choose a new person now, I'd have to move the books from the room of that guy to make room for the new guy. And I always felt I was leaving an old boyfriend behind. <laughs> so this way I could keep all of them together and really look at them through leadership, which I've been interested in since college. And then it happened that they were all in turbulent times, which gave it the, the meaning for today.
0: So one of the uh, the fundamental questions really that you begin with uh, is, are leaders born or made? And On part one of our conversation, we want to focus on a president that uh, I know you've spent uh, thousands of hours with researching, and that's Abraham Lincoln. Uh, So was he born a true leader in your estimation?
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I think what it means to be born a leader is that there are certain qualities associated with leadership, like intelligence or communication skills or even empathy. Nobody quite understands whether empathy is born or developed. In his case, empathy, which is so important for a leader to be able to see other people's points of view and to feel other people's situations, there's no question as a child that he evidenced that. There's a story that is told about him where the other kids are all putting hot coals on turtles to make them wriggle and enjoy that spectacle. And he was just poor. He just was felt terrible about it. And he told them this isn't right. And there's another time when he's walking with a group of friends and there's a drunken guy laying in a... A crevice along the way, and they all go by him, and Abraham has to go back and pick him up and bring him home because he couldn't bear the idea of not doing that. So in his case, I think there's a sense of some qualities being born. Also, even in the small schooling he had, which was so little, because he was so smart, people looked to him to be their teacher. <laughs> He's the one who's explaining whether the sun goes around the earth or the earth goes around the sun, and how does that get determined, Rather than the teacher to them, so he did develop a sense, I think, of being a, a leader, a, a small leader when he was. Well, he's always a tall leader, but a, a, a young leader when he was young. But then, most of the qualities of leadership you develop as you grow, go through adversity, and and go through life.
0: So you you specifically write about his his leadership traits, you know, from the early age, and in particular how reasoning and and comprehension and curiosity plays into leadership. Can you expand on how that benefited him as a leader?
1: Well, I think the thing that was so different for him than for most of the people that I was studying who came from more privileged backgrounds, I mean, even Lyndon Johnson, not as privileged as Teddy and and, and FDR, but still better than Lincoln's, is that he had to take the initiative to get any education he could. I mean, he was only able to go to a regular formal schooling less than 12 full months, so he had to scour the countryside and find books wherever he could get his hands on them. And it's great, just says that we were so excited when he would get a copy of the Aesop's Fables or Shakespeare's Plays or one of um, the King James Bible copies. He was so excited he couldn't eat, he couldn't sleep. So it's that sense of excitement about work, about learning, and a curiosity about wanting to know other things than he knew that he sought out learning grammar, he sought out learning history. And it's almost like in, for so many people it's all presented to you in school and you may be interested in it or not. Everything had to come from within him, that deep sense of wanting to learn and curiosity, and that's a huge trait for leadership.
0: And you say, you know, early on that he had that uh, motivation and willpower to develop, uh, the way you put it, every talent he possessed to the fullest. I love that. Uh, Lincoln did realize he had a leadership gifts, didn't he?
1: I think so. I mean, I think he, one of his biographers said that he had the confidence that comes from somebody who knew he had no peer in his class, certainly not intellectually, and even not as a leader. I mean, he somehow began to exert himself as a moral force, even as a young person in school. And he also learned early on how to tell stories. And he would entertain his class members with these winding tales that he had heard from his father gossip about what was going on in town. And then he'd be able to get it into a story that would interest his friends. And he'd go out to a stump on the tree when they're farming the land and stand on the stump and and all of a sudden hold forth. So this is a young kid learning what pleasure it is to be in the center of things. And that stayed with him.
0: And yeah and he knew that was an advantage you know as he would you know get more mature and and developed as a leader, right
1: yeah, no question. He understood early on that speaking, and especially in his day and age, when all of politics was conducted through debates and big speeches, and people are out there talking all the time, that learning how to speak effectively would be an important tool for him to have so he not only would listen to his father tell stories and then go upstairs and translate them into words that his friends could understand but he would go and listen to the ministers sometimes who were doing these wild preachings and then he'd come back and actually imitate them to the pleasure of his friends so he understood that communicating through stories which was a strength of him for the rest of his life he saw that even as a little kid
0: And you talk about the incredible bouts of of depression that he he dealt with, which you go into detail, and how that shaped him back to the the empathy uh, leadership. Uh, Talk about that.
1: Right. I think what happened to him from the time he was young was there was such a huge gap between where he actually was in life and these ambitions that he had to really do something. I mean, even when he's 23 when he runs for office the first time. He says, every man has his peculiar ambition. Mine is to be esteemed of by my fellow man. He wanted to make a difference in the world as a young person at 23. But then sometimes where he is and the chance to make that difference in the world seems so big that he can't bridge it. And that leads to a melancholy. And then, of course, his mother dies when he's nine, his only sister Sarah in childbirth a few years later, and his first love, Anne Rutledge, at the age of 22. So there was a sense of deep sadness about life having an early end to it. And his mother, when, when she was dying, didn't talk to him about meeting in an afterlife. She simply said, Abraham, I'm going away from you now, and I shall never return. So he became obsessed with the thought that, will anybody remember that we've lived when we die? And that really kept him going, that desire to do that. When he was at one point in a really near-suicidal depression. It was when he was in the state legislature. He had finally won the seat in the state legislature. The interesting thing is the first time he ran... He said um, he was pretty sure that he might not win, but he was so familiar with disappointment that he wouldn't be too chagrined. But he warned them, he said, but I think I'll try five or six times until it gets too humiliating and then I'll never do it again. (laughs) So he did try a second time and he did win, but then he had promised his constituents that he would bring them infrastructure projects to the state of Illinois so that poor farmers could take their stuff to market if the harbors were dredged and the rivers were made wider and then the state fell into a recession and the projects were half finished and it meant that they lost money as a result. They had went into debt and the whole the whole state was hurt by his infrastructure project imaginings so he actually said he wouldn't run for the state legislature again. Same time, he, But he felt he'd broken his word to his constituents. And he at the same time broke his engagement to Mary Todd, breaking his word to her. And he said, nothing matters more to me than my word. So they were so afraid, he was so depressed, they took all knives and razors and scissors from his room. Um, but his best friend, Joshua Speed, came to his side and said, Lincoln, you must rally or you will die. He said, I know that, and I'd just as soon die now, but I've not yet accomplished anything to make any human being remember that I've lived. So that worthy ambition kept him going and got him back into the state legislature, got him into Congress, got him into two, two lost Senate races, finally into the presidency.
0: I love in the book how you break down the, the key qualities of leadership, obviously, from each of these incredible men. You know, that's great takeaways for us all today. And I want to list a few of them and get your comments or reaction regarding uh, President Lincoln. First of all, maintain perspective in the face of both accolades and abuse.
1: Yeah, I mean, what that meant is, for example, after he put out the Emancipation Proclamation, at first somebody wrote to him and said, this is life-changing, it's historic, it's wonderful, it's all going to be great, but he knew that it still had to be accepted in the country at large. They had accepted by his cabinet, accepted by the army, which was not sure they were fighting for ending slavery. They thought they were just fighting for the union and accepted by the people at large. And and it, indeed, it, the Republicans lost the midterm elections at that point. Lots of state legislatures in the north thought that New England was trying to become this crazy abolitionist place and they were, were against it. Eventually, it all settled in, but he knew even at that time, don't get too excited about the person who says you've made history, and then don't get too upset when they're saying you've done a terrible thing. If you believe that what you've done is right, hopefully it will work itself out.
0: Next one, find ways to cope with pressure.
1: Well, this is so important for leaders, and I think in our day and age even more so because there's so little chance to relax and replenish your energies when you're carrying cell phones and email around. But he knew that he had to get away from the pressures of the Civil War or they would kill him, as he said. So he actually went to the theater a hundred times during the Civil War. He said when the lights went down and a Shakespeare play came on, for a few precious hours he could imagine himself back in Prince Hal's time in the War of the Roses and could totally relax. And then his humorous storytelling ability allowing him to laugh in the middle of the worst times was the other way he got through that time. And those, you have to figure out some way, you have a certain amount of energy, and then it can either be expanded or diminished depending on how you deal with it, and that's what he knew about himself. And I think that's so important for all leaders.
0: Next one, keep your word.
1: Well, keeping his word was so critical to him that not only did it cause that near-suicidal depression when he was young, but on the very last day of his life, He didn't really want to go to Ford's Theater. Usually he went to the theater as distraction, as a way of replenishing his energy and relaxing. But on this night, war was almost won. It was clear. Appomattox had happened. Um, Grant was coming back to talk about the terms he'd given to the Southerners. And he was with a whole bunch of friends and having such a good time. And he said, I'd so much rather stay, but I have to go because I I gave my word to the people that I would be there, and it was in the newspapers this morning that said I would be there, so off he went to his death at Ford's Theater.
0: Be accessible and easy to approach.
1: What mattered so much about his willingness to be accessible was that he actually went to visit the troops more than a dozen times right after a battle had been done, or almost when it was still active. And he made himself accessible to every single soldier so that they felt he was one of them. And they would write home and say, I met Abe. You know, he was here. He had that big hat on. He was, you know, he talked to us. And, and he told them, if you have any complaints about, you know, your commanders, just come to me in the White House with the complaints. And the incredible thing that that meant was that when he did issue the Emancipation Proclamation, and only three of ten Union soldiers said they were fighting for emancipation. Only the rest of them were just fighting for the Union. They said to themselves, well, if, if old Abe thinks this is what we should do, then I'll do it too. They trusted his leadership because he was so accessible to them.
0: And then lastly, combine uh, transactional and transformational leadership.
1: So what that meant was that when he was trying to make sure that the elections that followed the Emancipation Proclamation in January of 1863 would sustain it, there were some elections in Connecticut and some other state, Um, he not only... Used his good words about the importance of emancipation in the history of the country, but he contacted one of the political bosses and made sure that he put money into the elections. We need you right now, and he raised the money. It was, it was so he understood the practical parts of politics as well as the um, the moral parts of it.
0: The book is Leadership in Turbulent Times, available now from Simon and Schuster. The awesome Doris Kearns Goodwin. Next episode. Theodore Roosevelt. Thank you, my
1: friend. You are very welcome, my friend.
0: Thanks to Doris Kearns Goodwin for sharing her insights from her new book, Leadership in Turbulent Times, now available from Simon & Schuster. Thanks for listening to Healthy Paranoia with Buzz Knight. Steady production guidance provided by Boston Beasley Media Group's Mark Clark.